Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tidewad Tech, episode 84, Professor Messer, recorded January 30th, 2012, and brought to you by Element Opie Productions, elementopie.com. This week we have with us our friend, our longtime listener, at least two or three episodes, uh, and a general all-around good guy, James Messer, known as The Professor. Hey, Professor, how's it going? Hello, thank you for having me, and chat room lurker, as it turns out. That's where I usually am during this podcast, is sitting in the chat room and putting snide remarks down there for you to see as we go through, whenever I can, anyway. Yeah, that's you know you've done a, a good job when Mark just kind of randomly pauses and you can tell he's not right. really paying attention anymore. He's looking <laughs> at the chat room. Yeah, so I'm reading something. Yeah, uh, th- that's sort of become sport in our chat room to see how many times you can break the show and how well I can recover from it. Or if I and generally I just admit it and say okay. Well, if you're looking to break a show, you've come to the right place. All right. <laughs> and that third uh, voice you just heard there is Mr. Sean Kybel, the co Taiwan Tech. Hey, Sean. Hey, it's good to be here as usual. Uh, I want to I want to throw a plug in there for the chat room too. So if you're listening live, uh, you know, jump into the chat room and interact with us. Uh, if you've got a question for the professor, uh, work it in there, and if we can, we'll work it into the show. And to be more specific, we don't use the live stream chat room. We use our own chat room. So if you're on our home homepage, elementop.com/slash/live-stream. There's a right beside you, right there on the on the left, is a, a chat box. You can type in any username there that you want and log in. But if you're in the uh, UStream chat room, loaded up on that page, we're not seeing you. So feel free to say whatever you want. <laughs> All right, Sean. I'm, yes. I'm excited to hear about the continuing saga of the fifth grader who fixed the monitor that you couldn't fix. <laughs> yeah, so I got a little bit of redemption. Uh, I think it was maybe as early as Monday. Uh, I, I get a a uh, a ticket, another trouble ticket opened up and says, uh, yeah, that monitor that I told you that the student fixed, well, it's it's broken again. So I go up to the to the room, and sure enough, it's doing the same thing that it was doing before. And uh, so, uh, you know, this is an old CRT monitor, and these things can do this, right? They can exhibit some, you know, messed up display, and uh, and then you can bang it on the side or something. It'll go away, and then it inevitably will come back. So this was one of those situations. So I was redeemed. I am at least smarter than a fifth grader. Or at least as smart as. A fifth grader. Yeah, yeah. I'll go there. <laughs> I had one of those situations no less than three times today. I know anybody who's done uh, work in tech has experienced this, but I fixed a problem and did nothing. And in one particular situation, the hard drive wouldn't recognize, the computer wouldn't boot. I went into BIOS and went, yeah, okay, it's seeing the hard drive. Let's see what else I can do. I rebooted it. It came up fine. I walked away, took credit for it, and said thank you very much. The important part, of course, is the taking credit for it. Exactly. <laughs> and and I, I was honest about it. I mean, the teacher said, what did you do? I said, absolutely nothing. She said, well, you touched it. And you, the computers are scared of you. <laughs> and when you walk in the room, they, they act right. It's fear yeah. and intimidation. That's right. I'm no small man. And uh, so when they see me coming, they know that uh, bad things are about to happen. Whatever works. We have, I, I get a lot of that where uh, somebody will have a problem and then, you know, they, they put in a ticket. I end up there and the problem's not there anymore. And, you know, it's always the same response. I swear it was doing right. that. I promise you it did this, <laughs> you know, and I always tell them, 
Yes, I believe you. I, I, I know. That's right. I believe much you. I, I'm not the course with computers. You know, as soon as the tech guy shows up, the problem is going to go away. We had a, a batch of computers this was years ago, uh, ten years ago, that had uh, uh, some uh, old hard drives in them. That after about nine or ten months, the spindles on the hard drive started locking up. Um, and they just, they wouldn't spin anymore. And you, you'd turn the computer on and you wouldn't hear that that you expect to hear. And it would give that same message. And it got to be one of those things that was sort of predictable. And I discovered that the, the quickest patch for it, it's not a fix and it's not, I'm sure it wasn't the best, but the quickest way to do it was to put your hand about the, uh, uh, an inch or two back from the faceplate, right in the middle of the uh, case and give it a good whack. And the vibrations would go down through the case and the spindle would start going and it might go for another six months without having any troubles. And so one time I was on a phone with a, with a woman and I told her that I told her, you know, put your hand right here, move it back a couple inches and then give it a pound. And I heard tap, tap. I said, no, no, hit the thing. Give it a hit. <laughs> I heard tap, tap. And this was, we were on speakerphone. I was uh, uh, several miles away. And I said, no, hit it. you got to pound it really hard to, to get it to vibrate. I explained to her that the spindle was locked up and vibrations would set it free. I said, it's like, it's like a record player that's skipping. You've got to give it some, some vibration there. And she said, am I on camera? Are you watching me? Is this some sort of joke? <laughs> Well, they, they of course had a problem back then with those, that stiction, they called right. it. You did have to give it a nice, a nice one, two, a roundhouse right, right to the front. And, uh, yeah, you, uh, tapping on it with a, with a back of a screwdriver would do it, but, uh, just the good old fist of the case, it, it's satisfying. Not only did it solve the problem, but it made you feel like Fonzie. And, and a whole Zen thing happened then. <laughs> right. In the place, in the moment. All right. And I had, uh, <clears throat> Oh, well, the notes just blew up on me. I was looking at them. There wasn't anything there, and I went back, and wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to save my news, Sean. Uh, tell me okay. about your news. Uh, well, let's see. Uh, I just want to put a couple of plugs out there. One for the periodic table. So if you listen to the show and you don't listen to the periodic table, uh, or you haven't at least checked it out, then check it out. Uh, we record that on Thursday nights at 9 p.m. Central Time. Uh, this week we're going to be talking already. The, the notes are already going, and all of the uh, the co-hosts that join in on that show contribute to the notes throughout the week. And uh, we've already got the uh, Ferris Bueller, uh, we're guessing Super Bowl ad, uh, Demi Moore 911 call, uh, Newt wants a base on the moon, and uh, a, a bunch more that we'll be discussing. So uh, join us for that show, uh, either live or at least uh, listen in. And uh, lastly, for me at least, I want to uh, put a, another plug in there looking for uh, March and April listener spotlights. So uh, if you're interested, if you're a listener of the show, uh, you know, shoot me an email, sean at elementop.com. And uh, I'll get you lined up for one of those shows. It uh, doesn't really matter what you do. We had a, a gentleman that was a listener, and uh, you, you know we tend to focus on education, but uh, he worked for a string of Domino's Pizza uh, franchises. So uh, we don't care what you do. Uh, if you're a tightwad tech, uh, we want to know more about you, what you do out there. So give me a shout. I was talking with... Uh 
somebody i don't remember uh the context of it we were talking about the uh the periodic table show and and basically my idea for that show was we've got about uh 10 or 11 people that host different shows on our network so i thought we'd get them all together and and talk about things outside their milieu you know so we have teachers talk about teaching we talk about tech and we have a, a health and fitness podcast where they talk about living a healthy lifestyle let's get these guys out and let's talk about other stuff other than what they ordinarily do and they're all witty intelligent people except sean um and <laughs> And so, <laughs> and so, and I thought it would be fun. And so I was explaining to somebody uh, what I wanted to do. It was one of the other hosts, and he said, "So you mean like Twit, right?" I was like, "Well, no, that's not what I had in mind." He said, "Well, no, it sounds exactly like Twit to me." And so, if you're a podcast listener and you're a Leo Laporte guy, you know what Twit is. But he tends to do uh, a lot more news sort of stuff than what we do. We we cover the news, but it's bent news. It's it's news with a with a slant. This is what all podcasts ultimately are compared to, of course. Of course. And and with good reason. I mean, he is the grand master of podcasting. Have you listened to that show at all, James? The the Leo Laporte Twitch no, show? No, the periodic or, table. I've not heard the periodic okay. table. So now I've already got my iTunes up and was surfing around. So there you go. that's going well, in the list. We talk about, uh, you know, uh, really hard-hitting subjects like penis tattoos and... Um, <laughs> And how long does it take to uh, dissolve a rat in Mountain Dew? You know, things like that. So it's, it is definitely highbrow. So it, this it, is it something is. Yeah. I'm tuning into already. Yeah, it, it's not one that you want to listen to with your five-year-old in the room. It's not, it's not um, graphic, but there may be some follow-up conversations that you don't want to have. This is, of course, that uncomfortable moment when you have to explain yes. what Mountain Dew is. Exactly. Yeah. Well, our, our our demographics for that show uh, are a little bit different. I think we are the largest part of our listener base for that one comes out of Arkansas and Alabama. So, <laughs> <laughs> and fine listeners all in the Arkansas and <laughs> Alabama right. area, <laughs> where your mother can be your sister and nobody notices. Um, I have one. Right, Mark. Yeah. Well, I was gonna I was gonna lead you into that one oh, because okay. uh, it's exciting news. Something that uh, uh, Mark is passionate about and. Uh, uh, tell us all about it, Mark. Well, I have uh, uh, a little <clears throat> project that I have uh, embarked on, or uh, yeah, I'm in the process of it, and I wanted to announce it to here. This is our flagship show, you know, the one that's been around the longest, and I wanted to let you guys know about it first. I am in the process of writing a book, and I say writing because it's an audio book, so writing is not really uh, a right way to go about it, but it's going to be a book about podcasting. It's of all the stuff we talk about about education, about tech and all that, the questions that I get most often are about podcasting. And I, I thought, gosh, there's a million different things out there about podcasting. There's books. So, you know, our friend Steve Cherubino has a howtopodcast.biz website where he sells videos. Go check that out. It's good stuff. It's all good information. But you know what? I've never seen any audio presentations on how to podcast. And you think, if you're an audio consumer, if you're a podcast consumer, that's your milieu, right? That's what you enjoy. So why would I give you a book if you're a guy who likes podcasts? So I'm going to make an audio book, essentially a series of 10 or 12 chapters that are podcasts that you can listen to. My plan at this point is to release it under Creative Commons. I'm not interested in selling this to make money, uh, but there will be an opportunity for you to donate should you choose um so this i expect will be um months in the making it's not an easy thing first i have to i've just i've written the first chapter actually just uh this weekend and uh, you have a pretty pretty good outline 
Right. I've got I've got the uh, the outline. I know what I'm going to say until I start saying it. Then it will change. Of course. It sounds fantastic. Um, now, is there a particular segment of people or uh, a particular group of people that you're writing or you're speaking towards with this? Well, my idea is uh, people who who have a message and don't know how to get it out there. So uh, you you won't start with any prior knowledge necessarily. The idea is uh, uh, podcast consumers. So I'm going to assume you're familiar with podcasts. I'm not going to go through the dictionary definition of what a podcast is and go from right. there. I'm going to assume that you already have uh, a, a, an iPod or, or whatever that you enjoy listening to things on. You're already familiar with that process. And you've thought, hey, this might be fun. I'd like to get into this. And one of the first things I'm going to talk about is uh, you may not actually want to start your own podcast. There are communities out there who are already doing things that, that you might scratch your itch just by being a contributor, but maybe not. So <clears throat> those are um, some of the things that I, I plan to talk about. So the idea is the, uh, the novice. You, I expect you to be technical, but I don't expect you to be an expert podcaster uh, or broadcaster. I have uh, um, sort of a pedigree in audio. I've done um, uh, sound mixing and live events and studio engineering work for the last 25 years or so as a as a hobby a sort of a pro-am sort of thing so i i bring a unique um uh bent there to it i'm not just a guy who started with a webcam and i'm a cheapskate and so i'm not going to uh advocate that people talk about this uh use this wonderful setup that james has over there professor messer with his his expensive mic and all that and while that's a wonderful thing i don't want people to think that that's a barrier to entry I want people to start where they are and then trade up and move in as you go. I mean, nobody buys a Bentley as their first car. They buy a Pinto as their first car and then move up. Oh, yes. I, I will, we will talk later about what I started with and where this has come since then. I just want you to know you're breaking one of the cardinal rules of podcasting and that you're coming on the show sounding better than the host. Oh, that's, I can, that's I can put some, well, that's just right. well, okay, host this. <laughs> okay, that's, that's better. Thank you. Okay, Thank you. Mar for Mark it. will add some static to your feed uh, <laughs> in the right. editing. <laughs> fix that right in that. By the time I post-produce this, you're going to sound like you're calling in from a well. It's, it's great. <laughs> the eagle has landed. That's right. So anyway, uh, one of the things that, uh, this isn't just an announcement, I'm looking for uh, a core group of um, a dozen people, maybe maybe more, uh, who can be my, my think tank, my mastermind on this, who uh, I will share uh, my notes with as I'm working on them. And uh, you'll you'll give me feedback, and you'll say, "Well, you're, I don't understand what you're saying here, or I think this is superfluous, or you totally forgot to mention this." So, if you would like to do that, contact me at mark at com. Use the subject line um, "mastermind," and so I will know what you're talking about, and uh, and we'll we'll talk we'll see about that. I, I want to keep it a fairly um, close group because the the bigger it gets, the more convoluted the ideas. So uh, I'm looking for people who, uh, you don't have to be an expert on podcasting. In fact, if you think you might be one who this book would appeal to, then you're my audience. You're the person I want to talk to. I love the creative common slant to this because you're obviously comfortable with the audio side of things, which lends perfectly to the audiobook piece of it. But being creative commons doesn't limit it to ever being an audio based media. It could be whatever else anyone would like to mix together associated with that. Right. And I'm a believer in the Creative Commons process, that you put things out there and you um, make your name known and you become the product. It's not what you're selling. It's not the audiobook that's product. I am. 
I'm the product. I'm setting myself up as an expert in a nascent market. As the podcast market grows, hopefully my name will grow with it. And so, I mean, it's it's not altruism, people. That's not why I'm doing it. The idea is here is this is going to further my business over the, uh, the course of uh, the next 10 years. But I don't need it to be because you paid me $25 now. Correct. Okay. And now, I, I think that's it. Uh, Professor, anything you wanted to uh, throw into the warm-up before we get into the topic? I mean, you are the topic, so uh, I guess it doesn't really matter. Oh boy, I've written way too much in the show notes already. I doubt we're even going to be able to get to all of that. So I'll, we'll just we'll just start. Nothing more from me. Uh, were you told that we follow those notes? That that was not true. If if you were, <laughs> oh well, that's I've made a horrible horrible mistake. Then <laughs> I, I told them they were a conversation starter. Right. The notes are to tell us uh, what we should veer off of. See, so that's the path that we know should we, we should veer off of. I'm scrambling to edit as we speak. <laughs> so, uh, Professor, tell us about you. How did you go from being James Messer to Professor Messer? And uh, what is your uh, pedigree? And, and why should anybody care what you have to say? The, the name rhymes and that effectively <laughs> Is, is where the name came from. If it weren't and for the domain rhyming, was available. You know, it's, the, the domain was there and I grabbed it. Um, if it weren't for rhyming and alliteration, nothing would ever get done. That's right. It's, and, and it worked in this particular case. Interestingly enough, um, the rhyme actually goes to a different level with Professor Messer. The, the name was actually given to me when I was in high school and I grew up in Florida and I was chosen um, in, in my hometown to go to something called Boys State, which is sponsored by uh, the veterans. And they send uh, boys who are, there's a boy state and there's a girl state, but this particular week was boy state. And apparently I qualified for that one. So I was invited to go to the state capitol and you participate in a week of understanding what government is. Uh, you are put into a quote unquote city and in the city you elect uh, county commissioners or city commissioners. You elect people to office in the city. Those people can also run for state offices and ultimately the people who are elected as representatives actually get to sit on the floor of the House of Representatives in that state in Tallahassee and you bring up bills and you vote on them as if you were an elected member of that particular organization, that particular group. Well, I, when you get there, you don't know any of these people. You're completely unknown to everybody. And I thought a good way to get known was to have a catchy phrase, something that people could latch on to. So, of course, I ran for tax assessor in my quote unquote city. And my slogan was elect Professor Messer for tax assessor. Huh? <laughs> so Very good. there was no professor associated with it. I wasn't, I, I was, I was not doing well in chemistry. I was not the professor, <laughs> uh, but it rhymed and everybody remembered the rhyme. I don't know who ran against me, but he had no, no chance. There was even not a rhyme anywhere on there. In fact, on the ballot, they put Professor Messer. So one thing led to another and the name kind of stuck, but, but I didn't do anything with it. For the longest time, I went to college. I got a degree in business management. Had nothing to do with technology. Although during that time, I did work in the computing center when I went to Florida State. And um, and I've always been interested in technology. Always been interested in those very first computers. Very first one I saw was probably in the mall at Radio Shack, the Radio Shack Model One. Prior to that, were some of the older PET and and, and the Atari 
Uh, machines were about up at about, about that time, the 400s and the 800s and the evolution of them over time. And was just really interested in technology. And I knew eventually I'd be doing something with that. So of course, I got a degree in management and immediately got a job that had nothing to do with my degree. So, so far, pretty much what everybody else does. Right. I have a degree in psychology and, and uh, started working on computers for a living. So and here we works. are. Exactly. <laughs> I ended up working for a computer company, one of the retail type storefronts in Miami and uh, delivering, effectively delivering cables around town, which was the perfect use of four years of a higher degree. But it's one of those things that you look back on and you start to learn a lot about what was happening during that time. I, I got a, my first certifications were in compact computers and understanding the installation of hard drives, the installation of memory. But at that time, there was no A+. You had to get certified in Compaq. You had to get certified in IBM. You had to get certified in anything else that you were putting together. And But, but you get a lot, a lot of experience doing those things. You get to meet a lot of interesting people and see a lot of weird VGA cables that when they wiggle, everything turns yellow, those types of things, and get accustomed to the entire piece of that, that of what's going on. And, and it really was something that evolved over time. And I went from one company to another, to an insurance company. I, I worked in a training organization in one of those insurance companies. Um, I went to work for some vendors at that point. I worked for a company that did network analysis software and hardware. So I learned a lot about the networking side of things. And then I got into management there. So already I'm starting to blend together a lot of different pieces. Ultimately ended up in a marketing position being the the spokesperson for the company, which was zero technical at that point, really. It was really more of going around and talking to people. Um, and they're in, so now you're starting to see the blending of things, the technical piece, communication, the training aspect. And, and ultimately, I stepped back and thought, what can I do with this? What types of things can we do? And, and that's when I wrote my first book. And that's, it, it was great to hear you're putting together a book. I think everybody should write a book or, or a, some type of content and make it available for other people to have. Um, first, you get to say that you're a published author, number one. And, and ultimately, when you make that particular product, you're becoming an expert because you're learning as you go along of what you're doing. The first book I wrote was on InMap, which is Network Mapper. It's a network security type of utility. And I thought it would be just a two-page blog entry and it ended up being a 250-page book. And and it took months to write it and put it together. And it gave me a good understanding of what, what it really took to create content. And, and there are some, I look at authors out there that have written all these books. Some of these folks have written book after book after book. And I have to sit back and think, wow, you, <laughs> the right. time and effort that it takes to put that together is awe-inspiring. That's but the Iron Buttocks Award right there. That is exactly what that is. And it taught me, I never want to write another book ever. So that's one of the things you learn, though, when you go through this, is you have to try it, see if it's for you. If it doesn't, try it again. And one of my my major goals at that point was just to keep trying things. And, and that's why I always tell whenever I'm meeting students, whenever I'm meeting somebody who's just graduated, whenever I'm meeting somebody who's trying to figure out what they're going to do with the next phase of their life, it's just try it. But you have to try it at full speed. You have to just run completely as fast as you can. And there might be a wall there and you might run right into the wall, just slam right into it. But that process of slamming into the wall teaches you what was good and bad about that process. You get up, you dust yourself off, you go off to the next thing. 
the the professor messer side of things of where it is today evolved from a number of different things some that were incredibly successful some that were awful awful flops i did a blog on travel travel blog but not like a travel blog that was actually useful to anybody <laughs> a travel blog that was just my experiences as i was traveling all of these places because i fly a lot during the week um and it was interesting to nobody zero people donut baby <laughs> nothing nobody wanted to read that so it's one of those things where you spend a lot of time and effort and you end up throwing it all away and, and I'm, I'm ashamed to say the travelcritter.com really never took off <laughs> I, I don't remember who to quote, uh, attribute this to i think it was somebody like plutarch who said uh, that uh, he who has never failed has never learned failure is an opportunity to learn what doesn't work and so you simply hone things down and find out what does work. So is ProfessorMesser.com now, is that your day job or is that still a supplement to your day job? I have a day job. I work in a technical field for a company based out of California. So during the day, I'm traveling around. I'm flying to different places. I'm going to see people in the day job. Five o'clock, six o'clock hits. And then I go into Professor Messer mode. All right. And you have uh, some sort of home studio, it looks like there. I do. I have a studio that I've set up in my house that is that is evolved into my house. I I took the idea of writing the book and I said, let's not write any more books. Let's instead do a training video because nobody had an in-map training video at that point. And that's an important thing for people to think about. If you're planning to get into doing some type of content to build a website or anything of that nature, you really should consider the niche that you're looking for. One of the keys on the internet is that there are plenty of people interested in every possible topic you could ever think of. Your goal is not to appeal to the, the mass of people that's out there. Your real successful goals are going to be if you hit this core group of people who are interested in what you're talking about, there's nobody out there with in-map training. I wrote an in-map book. Be perfect to have an in-map training course in a video form. So that's exactly what I did. It was in this room that looked nothing like this room. Now, for those of you listening, of course, uh, the theater of the mind, it is a room that has lighting, has LED lighting. There's a big, fancy, really expensive, well, relatively expensive microphone that I, I put a bunch of money in as a big investment. I've got an HD camera that, that records to disc. None of this was here. In fact, the technology was barely able to get going. I had a handheld camcorder that you would buy right off the shelf from somewhere, recorded to tape. It was SD at best. Um, I had the lights you would use in your garage to to work on your car that put out about 2,000 watts. Oh, those clamp lamps? <laughs> yes. Oh, I've got one of those <laughs> hanging above my head right now. And they are they're hot. This is a small room. It's bearing down on me. You put like literally put the paper you use to, to cook with the parchment paper over the light to diffuse the light. Um, we could only record 10 or 15 minutes at a time because the room would get so hot that we couldn't handle it. But we had no budget. We had nothing to work with. So we found ways to make that work. My wife was the person doing the speaking in the video. She's the one you see on video because I thought, nobody wants to look at this so we're going to get somebody who's attractive in front of this but she knows nothing about inmap so so i put together the entire script wrote it out i had a, a, a laptop set up with a way to do the so she could watch like a teleprompter she went along, teleprompt the whole thing exactly 
Um, it was, and, and we would, she would get to words that were just completely mispronounced. Well, we'd back up, we'd do it again. Then the entire tape would have to be digitized. We effectively just replay it into the computer, edit with the, the, the crude video editing that we had back, back in the day and, and would put it all together. And it ultimately ended up working. It ended up being a viable in map training course. And even today, it's one that, that we still sell on our website because there are so few resources out there to be able to use anything like that. Now, did your wife learn during this process or did she do what I do no. and just turn her brain off and read the words That's, on the screen? She has, she had no idea what she was reading. No clue whatsoever <laughs> and was not really interested. And I think, um, in our relationship, the yin and yang there, she is a medical person. She understands the human body. I know none of that. I don't understand that. I don't get it. I'm the technical person. And, uh, and so the house is able to work. Now I'm looking around my studio right now, which consists <laughs> of 10 pieces of that, uh, styrofoam house insulation, uh, stood up into, uh, on little wooden frames that I built with, uh, stuff thrown on top of me just so I can keep some heat in and some cold in, uh, during the, uh, the, extreme temperatures in texas um and you know i'm sitting on a uh a, a table here that i bought from sam's like in 94 <laughs> so that's yep. that's my studio so but, but look at that look at what we're able to do exactly with just the minimum amount of details at that point i did not have a mixer there was no audio compressor there was no extra audio recording equipment we plugged directly into the computer we plug we turned on the camera we said go and, and you that used was the mic it. that was on the camera and that's just the way it was use the mic on the camera at that point i may have even had a lavalier because it, it, if you're like me and i suspect you are you get to a point especially if you're in podcasting or if you're doing any type of audio you listen for the audio absolutely you want to hear what's going on and one of the first things i really learned and i'm not sure who said this and it may have been leo laporte back in the day who said if you're going to do a video like this the video is important but your audio is the number one thing invest in your audio and that that's why this this microphone is here i've had this microphone for years and years and years and years this was a at the time an incredibly expensive thing for me to buy but i realized that it needed to be high quality it needed to be something i could always use and it's been a great investment and if you're it's just allowed me and enabled me to do other things because i if i want to let's do a podcast great i've got a i've got a mic for that let's do another training course turns out i got a mic for that it's very very enabling when you start putting together equipment like that especially when you start choosing the right things and it just all works together it's it's one big experiment that's just gotten completely out of the lab Okay, uh, and you mentioned that you sell the video, and that brought up a question that I had. Uh, how is it that you monetize what you do? All, all your stuff is free. I mean, I send my students at school to your website to learn to do the A plus training stuff because it's a great place to put a high school kid who doesn't know anything, and they can start from literally nothing and go through and and have skills. So, how do you monetize uh, your endeavor? This was again one of these things that you experiment. And you see what happens when I wrote my in-map book, the entire book I made available on my website for free. And it's even still there today. If you go to networkuptime.com, the entire book is still there and available for you to read for free. 
but I also took a PDF version of it and I made it for sale for 20 bucks. I thought, let's see what happens. And people bought it and it had on the, had on the sales page, this is exactly the same thing you would read on my website. But there were a group of people that said, yeah, but sometimes I'm not on the internet. Sometimes I'm traveling. Sometimes I'd like to keep a copy with myself. The PDF's easier for me to read. There's not the ads around it that you'd see on the website. There's not multiple pages. This is much simpler. And I realized then there is a place for both of these things. And I thought, how can we, how can we do something with that? When I then made the NMAP training course, it was not and is still not available for free. I really should rethink that. It's not in a format that lends itself well for me to make available on the internet. Unfortunately, I did it in a, a different kind of format. It's not just a video, but I did not make it for free. Now, what happens? I'll ask, let's ask the room. What happens when you take a piece of media and you put it on the internet? Anyone? Generally, not much. Well, it, it, the problem <laughs> is that it goes everywhere. Yes, it, it gets, uh, it, it's infinitely copyable and easily right. distributed. Right. And you, you end up doing the digital whack-a-mole where, okay, got it off that website. Oh, I got it off that website. Well, I tried to get it off that website. We just keep, what a waste of time to go through that entire process. And ultimately, you can keep whacking that mole and banging on them and getting them taken off of websites. Ultimately, you are never going to be able to remove that digital media from everything. And that's, we can have an entire other podcast on 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 that particular piece of things. And that was frustrating for me. And I thought, well, you know what? I'll fix them. I'll put everything out there for free. Let me do another training course. I'm not going to, no way I'm going to put it out there and and have it restricted. I'm going to make it completely available. So I just I just went completely the other direction. Not knowing, of course, if it was going to work or not. It's not like I had any type of foresight, any type of view into the future that, oh, this is absolutely the way to set up a new internet media business. No, I had no idea. I was trying, just trying something, threw it out there on YouTube or at the time threw it on, wasn't even Vimeo at that time. It was some other service I was using because I had to find a service that would allow me to have it in a longer format. There were a lot of things at that time. Nobody was doing HD. Nobody was allowing anything over 10 minutes. Uh, There's quite a bit of challenges associated with that. So I just started putting it out there, rolling it out there and put it on the site and said, here is an A-plus course. Because I thought, we'll do something people can use, not just of a, a, a course or some me showing people, here's how you format a drive. Here's how you configure a partition. But I wanted there to be a means to the end. I wanted you to be able to take these videos and do something with them. And I wasn't sure what this would turn into, but I realized pretty quickly that putting them out for free was going to be an important aspect of that, that was going to allow me the ability to get it in a lot of people's hands and have no worries about this concern of copyrighted material being somewhere it shouldn't be and going through all of that nonsense. Now, to, to, to come back to your original question, which was the monetization of it, I used the same thing I did with my book. I made them available free. But then I also made some media that if you wanted to take it offline, if you wanted to use it when you were not connected to the internet, this would be available for you to buy at a cost that would be much less than what people were selling full-blown courses out there. But it was still something that would be able to make revenue for the website, keep the website running, and, and continue on with the path of what we're doing here at Professor Messer. Now, uh, Professor, all of that kind of leads up to... Uh, 
I guess, you know, where you are today, but, you know, there's, there's a gap in between there and uh, you're kind of touching on it, but you know, how do you build that internet presence? So everybody, you know, there's so many people out there that get this great idea for, Oh, you know, I've got this great idea. I want to start this website and get mm-hmm. this community going or whatever. Right. And, uh, you know, they'll maybe, uh, you know, give it a good week or two uh, of effort. And then when, you know, they don't have a hundred thousand people there, uh, listening to what they have to say, they, they kind of give up. So, you know, fill in that gap for us, how you've got a huge following and, uh, you, you've got some internet fame, so to speak. Uh, how did you get there? I mean, it didn't happen overnight, right? It, It is a surprise and a delight to me every single day that, that people first want to watch the videos and secondly, they're able to do something with it. But it, it started with zero people it started with nobody. When I had my book, I had the, the networkuptime.com domain. And really I wasn't building a community there. I was really just posting content and wrapping some advertising around it and hoping that that would bring in some revenue for what we were doing. And it was enough to keep the website running, but that wasn't what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to have more people involved with this. And, and when we sat back, and, and looked at what we wanted to do as a business to try to make something that was viable, to make something that people would want to use. We realized early on, it really needed to be a community. And if I look at people like what Chris Perillo has done and the things he continues to do with bringing people into what he's doing, and I look at what Leo Laporte has done and bringing people into what they're doing and podcasts like this, where you are a person. And I think that's the first most important aspect of this. It's an aspect that even the biggest companies in the world don't get. And and even now you're starting to see the shift associated with that. Um, And for for instance, you're starting to see uh, this latest CES, the CEO of Ford is the guy coming out and doing interviews with the people on the podcasts. Have you seen any other people making cars that have their CEO talking to the lowly podcasters? Of course not. But now I know that guy. I know his history. I know his philosophy on making cars. There is a connection there. And we realized early on we needed the connection. So I wanted to build a site that had a way to get in touch with me. I wanted to build a site that had forums. At the time, I there was no interactive chat, really. Now there is. If you go to a Professor Messer website, interactive chat. Everybody on my site can chat with everybody else if they want to in real time. Um, there needed to be an extra connection there. And building a community is such an easy thing to say, but it's so complicated to put all of the pieces together to make it work the way you want to work. And and my my personality and the way that I have built that has also changed over time. I was not on Twitter anywhere near close to the beginning of that. Um, didn't quite know how I would take advantage of it. Still don't feel that I really do in many ways. Facebook, yeah, started doing more of that because you go where the people are. And it's not just one thing. It's a little Twitter. It's a little Google Plus. It's a little Facebook. It's a little direct emails. Because quite honestly, email is still the number one way to get your message in front of people. Still today, after all the Facebooking and all of those other things, for some reason, email still works. It's still there when it's used properly, when people take advantage of what it does for you. And you have to piece together all of these. And I can't say that I know what the formula is. I can't say that I know exactly what's going on. I'm trying new things all the time and you have to because it's all moving so fast underneath the surface. It's hard to keep track of what's going on. I still haven't done Google Plus very well. I'm still struggling with some of those things, but you have to just try 
everything to see what happens. And, and if you build it, they really will come. If they have a way to chat with you in real time, that's very, very powerful. Now you're talking to the person who wrote the thing that you're reading on that site. And I'll go into chat even today. I wanted to chat. Uh, somebody asked to do a private chat. So it popped up and I said, oh, and it says their name. Hi, Fred. And they write back, is this really Professor Messer? <laughs> well, yes, yeah, yes, it's just me. There, there is no. Let me look around at all of these people in this room. Hi, everybody. No, it's nobody's here but me. There's Does no your team wife of, even help you anymore, or has she washed oh, her hands of it? My wife is the. She is she, technically she is the vice president of the company. She is king and ruler of this company oh, okay. because she keeps this thing going. She keeps me going. So the house right now behind the door, very much like Sean had his helper earlier that was helping him in the room. I have others outside the door, two dogs, there's a horse, there's a, there's a hamster, there's all kinds of things outside the door here, but you don't hear any of them. And that's because the king and the ruler has made sure that that, that we are having a successful podcast here. And, uh, and suddenly she'll appear in the middle of me working through editing and there is tikka masala or there's a sandwich or she keeps the carbs going to keep the whole process moving. So she's not technical and doesn't, doesn't directly edit the video, but she makes sure that the video gets edited. That's good. That uh, I'm curious, since you brought that up, somebody who might want to follow in your footsteps, uh, give us a rough idea of how many hours a week you devote to this uh, not your day job. Well, it, that that part's really up to the person, but I can tell you, I spend a lot of time on this. This is something I would I would love to see as something I do full time. So the goal of this is to really build a company that is going to be viable, that's going to grow, that's going to do interesting things, and and we're getting to that point. But um, it, it can be as much or as little. This is really the benefit: as much or as little work as you need to put into something like this. Uh, the first thing I tell people is make some content, write a blog entry, do a recording. Your your mobile devices these days have this this fantastic microphone built into them. Talk into it. Walk down the street. Tell a story. Tell about something you did. Tell about a place that you are. Take pictures of what you're looking at. Um, have some annotation of that. Put it on a website. Make a video of it. Put it on YouTube. So many ways to build content and put it out there. And and once you get that created and put it online, you do another one, then you do another one, then you do another. Keep making the content. That's the part where many people fail is they have a great idea and they're building great content. I want everybody to build things like I'm building on here and putting them on the internet. I'm not doing anything magic. There's no secret here. It's a camera. It's you talking and you put it on the internet. Kids, the kids today, they're doing it all the time. Right. There's no problem doing that. And most of them don't have anything to say. Most of, and it's remarkable when you come across one that really has thought it out and is doing interesting editing and you think, ah, they might have something there, but they started somewhere to put that on there. Now, for me, it's a little bit different in what I do behind the scenes. So the first thing that happens and, and basically the, the bulk of the content we create are segments that are training on a particular topic, a very specific topic. I don't, I used to do training videos that were about 20 to 25 minutes long each. And, and I don't know if, if us human beings have gotten to a point in the, in the YouTube generation where 
we have to have them shorter or if it's something that's always been with us all the time. But I found if I keep them now from about five, about four to seven minutes, it seems to be a little bit more of a palatable chunk. So I build a presentation, a piece of information, content, or me demonstrating something on the screen that is a topic, a very specific beginning and end of something you need to learn or something you need to know. And that process of building that might take two hours. It might take four hours. Um, there was one video I did for a Microsoft course that was one of very complex series of imaging a system and grabbing the image and deploying it automatically. Literally took me a day to set that up on a Saturday. The entire Saturday from eight in the morning until well into the next morning was me just trying to make it work and finally getting it done. Fortunately, that's not the vast majority, but that's where most of the time really happens is building the content prior to ever sitting in front of the camera. The recording part of it for a 15 minute video, it usually takes about twice the amount of time that you see. So if it's a 15 minute video, it took 30 minutes to shoot. It's me sitting in front of the camera and saying, when you work with a cable like this, you need to use it this way. When you work with a cable like this, you need to use it this way because, or it's me doing multiple takes of that particular thing. That's the easy part. That's me talking to the camera. I already built the content. That's simple. And then, of course, the post-production now takes a little bit of time to piece all of those things together. So there's a number of hours associated with that. So by the time you've seen a video that lasts seven minutes, there are probably about uh, four or five hours that have gone into building that, putting it in place, me uh, me putting my uh, camera on, setting up the lights, getting everything ready to go, recording it, doing the post-production, posting it to YouTube, creating the link for it on the website and making it available to everybody. <laughs> I wonder, uh, do you worry about depending so much on YouTube as your delivery mechanism? I worry on about everything. Um, <laughs> And especially on any one thing as a delivery mechanism. Through the years, I've used three different video providers. Um, I used the one I can't remember. I've used Vimeo, and now ultimately I'm on YouTube. Um, fortunately, I can pick all of this up at any moment, slide over to another service, and put it on there. And I have even considered hosting them myself on something like the the Amazon Cloud. That's certainly right. viable. YouTube has been uh, an exceptional partner for what we are doing because it has allowed me, before anybody could go over 10 minutes, they gave me, in, in what must have been a horrible mistake in their back office, they gave me a partner account. So I was able to do much longer videos and put them out there. So that enabled me to do what I wasn't able to do on YouTube before. And then there's the the integration with the Google ads. and. As much as we hate advertising or we say we hate advertising as human beings, it, it is a necessary evil for what we do in our industry. Advertising's everywhere. Um, it used to be you could go to a professional football or baseball game named in a, in a building or a facility named after a person. Right. Remember? Or maybe Those, even the team. Maybe <laughs> even the team. Those days are long gone. 
Um, yeah, we just had a comment in the chat room just a minute ago about the Ustream ads. We're streaming live on Ustream, and, and they have recently started introducing interstitial audio. So they, they literally cut you out for 30 yep. seconds and play an yep. ad. Um, and I said, that's that's the Faustian deal we have to make. You know, that's the devil we have to deal with to get a live stream because I can't afford to have uh, the, all the equipment necessary to do that and the bandwidth and all that. So, um, you know, it, it's the deal you have to make. And and I unfortunately, so many people are getting so good at ignoring ads, the ads have to be more prominent and harder to ignore. It, it is one of these things that I still don't know why they let us do this. We're streaming live to the world and it costs me nothing to do this except for the equipment I have and of course putting it out there, but an incredibly complex, incredibly difficult bandwidth intensive process is one that has practically no cost for anybody who would like to do it. And that's just remarkable to me to be able to take advantage of that. It's something that I have only recently been able to take advantage of myself doing more live content and putting more study groups out there and doing a live podcast and doing this type of thing because first it's fun to do. And secondly, it's just, it's so available to be able to do that. So am I, am I concerned about YouTube doing that? Well, I'm always concerned about anytime I put a lot of eggs into a single basket, but as a business side of it, you have to think about contingencies and what you would do. And I've got a plan B and a plan C and a plan D somewhere. So far, I've never hit a point where I've had to worry about that. And YouTube has been a good choice. But we should we should always think about that um, whenever we're putting these things together and trying to grow a company out of it. And one of my favorite quotes, I know I've used it on the, sh- on the show uh, many times before, is Mark Twain. He said, put all your eggs in one basket and watch that basket. So, you know, sometimes that's the way to do things. Sometimes that's exactly the way to do things. And so far, that's worked pretty well for us. Um, if there comes to a point where eh, YouTube's not working well or uh, the one I'm, I'm always concerned about is Facebook. I always hear the bad stories about you know, what Facebook has done to you. And I've, I've now gotten a number of people liking my page on Facebook. I feel that if I lost that, I would lose connection to what was going on. And I did a, a presentation. And he's being modest, modest by a, a number of people. He means 11,000. There's, there's a couple. I have no idea how any of this has happened. But there they are. And they're there. And there is Facebook has, has has pulled back on this a bit. It used to be you could put I could put a message on Facebook and instantly all 11,000 or so of those people would see the message right then. And they've pulled back on that a bit and they've changed their policy and changed their model a bit. So it has to be something that people like or is popular to, to get on more people's in front of more people's eyeballs. Um, I don't have any control of that. That just, they turned the switch one day and that's what happened to me. And so it went from being a Twitter like service where I was able to communicate directly to everybody to a service where it sometimes I was only able to communicate directly to literally a couple hundred people. Now, that's one of those things you're talking about where you've put a lot of effort on the business side and the the community side and making yourself available to people in this way. And then the next day, suddenly it's gone. It changed completely. Now, it's gotten a little bit better since then, but I documented this. I did a presentation um, in, in London in November, and I documented and showed a picture of the graph where I'm way at the top of the graph. Look at me talking to people and then the hits and suddenly the line goes all the way to the bottom and I'm now talking to a hundred people and it was, it was quite sobering and, and it makes you realize 
You have to have other things there. You have to be able to take advantage of the Twitter and the Google Plus. They're direct emails. If you are someone who's trying to build content on your website and you do not have a way for people to subscribe to a list of emails and you aren't telling those people what's going on with your organization, you're missing out on an opportunity. And it's so inexpensive to do this from all of these different email providers that are out there. You don't have to do this yourself. In fact, don't do this yourself. It's a bad idea. Go to a third party, pay them a paltry $5 a month or whatever it happens to be, and create your own email list so that you can talk to these people directly. Ultimately, that's been one of the best ways to do it for me. Uh, I'm going to jump in here, uh, Professor. One, you were you were hitting on you know creating content and just you know get start getting it out there, start start creating. And uh, I, I like how you said about little chunks at a time, and it's very much like what we've done. You know, we're up to uh, this is episode 84, but I think we're actually somewhere around 90 episodes, and it's just it's just been plugging away, plugging away, and. Uh, I, to kind of turn that in a different direction, I've been studying up on, you know, how we monetize this, this uh, great venture that we're, we're, uh, you know, trying to get off. And uh, this, lately that's been studying, uh, I'm reading an audio book about uh, Google AdSense and mm-hmm. uh, AdWords and all those types of things. And uh, it, one, that's something that that author drives home uh, very prominently is, you know, somebody, you know, everybody is an expert about something. There's something that you're passionate about that you're, you're an expert about. So start creating the content and over time you'll build up a body of work. Uh, and then, uh, once you've done that and he goes into, you know, how easy it is to put a website out there and everything else. But, uh, uh, and then, you know, with his particular book, you know, uh, how Google's given you a way to monetize that. And then he goes into affiliate marketing and all kinds of other things. Right. Uh, I'm really curious because I see that executed very well on your site. It's not intrusive, uh, but there's just a little bit there. So I'm curious, uh, how you're finding that how is that working out for you? Is, are, are you seeing it as, uh, is it a great source of income or is it just something that's offsetting your expenses? What can somebody realistically expect there? Well, for those people that are, that are listening in and, and are, are, uh, uh, are trying to figure all of this Google stuff out. So Google offers a couple of things. Google, by the way, is not an internet search company. Many people believe that Google is absolutely a company that does search. They're absolutely not. They're Google a is adver- an ad company. They are an advertising company. They make, they make no bones about this. They aren't trying to fool anyone. A vast, vast, vast majority of, of what they are doing revenue-wise comes from advertising that they sell, that they put in front of your eyeballs. And, and they call this, if, as an advertiser, if you want to advertise your product, you go to Google AdWords. And if you are someone who is a, a content creator and you have a website like we have, you use AdSense to put those ads on the page. So this ecosystem has been built by Google. And we aren't sure how much of the cut they take, but we think it's about, about 50% or somewhere in there. But as an advertiser or someone who's showing these ads, a content creator, you stick this on your website in certain places. You just put it, Google gives you, gives you a little bit of code. It's really easy. Stick it on the website and it, Google gives ads to you based on you, based on, I have no control over what ads you see when you come to my site. And hopefully it's looking at my page and saying, well, this is a site about a plus this page we're looking at right here is about a plus let me show you some ads that might be interesting for you so i love that aspect of it that it's not me looking at used car ads on my site i'm not showing ads 
for the latest uh, get rich quick scheme on my site. I'm showing advertising that might actually be valuable to somebody. So I feel very good about what the type of advertising that we do. The, the other piece of it though, and, and the part that's been the biggest challenge and really it's more of a scientific study is what, how much is good, how much is bad. I don't want to overload people with advertising, but I don't, I need to be able to have this venture be, have revenue. I need money to come in. It is a business ultimately. And when we first sat down and thought about what could we do after this network uptime thing, I wanted to create a company that was financially viable. We could, we could actually have a business with this. I could do this full time. So I want to do that. I need the business to be one that perhaps isn't just traditional. I want to give back in some way. I want there to be just like with Google has an ecosystem. I wanted there to also be an ecosystem in the business. So this has all been part of the business model. Google AdWords and AdSense wasn't something that we just threw in there. It was a, a built into the, the business model. Here's a way that we're going to make money. We'll make money off the Google ads. Uh, we'll bring in revenue from sales of product. And then we'll have other things that we'll throw in there along the way. And it's worked out extremely well. Um, the, the Google piece and the, the sales of what we do is probably roughly 50 50 for what we are doing. And it has been uh, very viable for, for keeping the website running, for having revenue come in good enough that I could say, yes, in the future, I could absolutely see this being something that I could do full time that could support me and my family just by having all of these different pieces of income. And, um, and to that point, whenever you're building and, and that horrible word monetizing uh, of this, of this web type thing that we are doing, um, there's never just one thing. And, and if you're thinking you're going to build a website and here's where I'm going to get the money from is this one thing. No, it's going to be some other mixture of things. It's going to be um, relationships you build with third parties to sell their products because you really like that third party's product. It's going to be relationships you build with well-known people in the industry like Amazon that has products that people need that you could make them aware of. There is the Google AdWords for people looking at advertising on your site. It's you selling product yourself and bringing in things that way. It's you selling your own advertising and bringing it in. We can go on and on and on at the different ways, but you have to have this mixture of different things that you bring to the table. Um, um, and, and my wife and I looked back at our AdWords, or excuse me, our AdSense revenue from the very first month that we put it on the website back on the InMap days. And our first revenue from that for an entire month was $5. So... <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least so, you didn't lose any money. $5. We didn't lose any money. We're, right. we're we're in the black, and and uh, and we kept building on it and building on it. It doesn't happen overnight, but you get people coming to your site, which are people that have eyeballs that are now looking at the advertising that are that you're giving them great content. Ultimately, it all comes back to the content. And I, I have no doubt the book that you've read about Google AdSense says that very thing, that none of this works unless you have something that people want to look at. So talking about tightwad tech, ultimately it has nothing to do with the tech side of it. It has to do with the type of content you're putting out there. And I've met all kinds of people and, and, and I'm sure you guys can appreciate this. When you see a website like the, the ICANN has cheeseburger, where they're taking pictures of the cats and you put it on the internet, 12 million people visit a day, that type of thing. And you bang your head on the table thinking, why am I doing this? 
I should do cats. Um, right, they the spent 47 seconds yes. doing that. Uh, yeah, or the David after dentist. That guy whipped out his yes. cell phone, pointed it at his drunk kid, and has made <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars off of it. Send the kid to college. Right on, brother. Just keep doing what you're doing. I, I love those stories. I hate those stories. That's right. Um, but it's all about that content. It's what people want to be able to see in the eyeballs. I'm not good at making cat videos. I'm sticking with the technical stuff for now. Um, and we'll see where that comes. And I know that ultimately there needs to be other types of content, but there needs to be content. It needs to be valuable. We said from the very beginning, I want to make videos that have this content in them. And I want the, these absolutely free videos to be better than anything you could ever buy. And that was the goal we went into and, 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 and started this whole thing out. And I figured if we create content that's that good, We'll just let everything else take care of itself. The The tail will wag normally because the dog made it that way, not reverse. Well, I know we, uh, we've we had a number of people ask us, you know, where can I go for, for some really good high quality training? And uh, these are people that are willing to, you know, put out a pretty decent amount of money to gain that training. And we say, you don't have to spend all that money. Go check out ProfessorMesser.com. Uh, and I imagine there's a lot of people uh, around the world that are having that same conversation. So uh, it speaks to the body of work, like you said. I, I do get some fantastic emails every day of people that are using the course. Um, and I get to see these people over a period of time. It takes a long time to learn this material. These are not easy certification exams. And, and it's great to see some of these things and get some of these stories where people have said, I'm, I'm out of work. Um, I'm struggling with what we're doing. Maybe I'm working, driving a truck. Maybe I'm doing some other type of industry. This appeals to me, though. I'm going to use these. I'm going to get my certification. I got a note from a gentleman today that said, I went and got a job that required that I had a certification of some kind. I took your online course, read some books, did my studies, got the certification, and I started the job today. And now I'm back. He says, I'm back on my feet. And that's incredibly gratifying. And it's something I really was not expecting when I went into this. And it's very, very motivating. And they don't realize it, but they're just now making me stay up later and do more videos so I can do more of that and hear more of those stories. And they come from everywhere. They come from um, um, people who have family members that have gone to Afghanistan. They're still left here in the States. Now, what are they going to do? They've got a lot of time available. They haven't been the ones working. Wow, here's an opportunity for me to get into technology. I've gotten just um, amazing emotional letters from people that were in Darfur that are now in Egypt that have fled the country because of what's going on there. They've, they've found a place to live and they're learning technology in Egypt by watching my videos. I, I can't even understand that particular type of thing. I'm just grateful that those things are there for people to take advantage of. Talk about a win-win. It's perfect. Please use the videos in that way. Do whatever you can associated with it. it. It's great to see people using it that way. And it's made me change the way my product works and how I'm doing with it. Um, for example, you run into things you were never expecting. If you watch some of my early A-plus videos, there's this snappy little music at the beginning and this little snappy little music at the end. Try to get a little jazz in there. Try a little, <laughs> little get it up and, and lively. Well, the problem is it's on YouTube. It can be seen anywhere in the world. And unfortunately, I know this is hard to believe. As it turns out, music companies haven't quite figured out this internet thing yet. I know. It's crazy. They don't understand. So in Germany, it is so tight 
the music companies are so tight with the government and the way that it works is that any YouTube video that has any type of music in it at all that is set up to show any of the YouTube ads may not be played in Germany, period. Now, the, the music that I have is absolutely licensed. I am, I am licensed. It's, it's available. I've paid for it. I can play it as much as I want on these videos, and it's absolutely legal. But because they can't go through every video in Germany, they are completely blocked. And if you're in Germany and you pop up that video, it says, I'm sorry, you can't watch this video in Germany. So I, I wasn't ready for that. What type of business person is thinking that the entire country of Germany is going to turn you, turn you completely off? completely removed from the face of the earth. So you'll notice all of my new videos have no music in them at all. And that's well, not I because... I can understand how that would be surprising because clearly Germany as a country doesn't have any kind of history of overreacting to anything it's, it's, at all. It's hard to believe, isn't it? It's, <laughs> it's difficult that that would even be the case. But uh, sure enough, it is. And it, and I've, I would love to put more music in my videos. I, I love to have that piece of it. Um, but that's why there's no music. There's just one of those things you run into when you're working with content on the internet and trying to put these things together that sometimes you just weren't expecting. I had a conversation. I, I would think the uh, the last name would like give you automatic clearance. You would think, <laughs> although the, in in Germany, Messer, of course, literally is translated to knife. So I'm not sure that That's worked right. out so well either. I had a conversation recently in the chat room. Somebody was asking about the uh, uh, music that we use on on the show, and I pointed them to uh, a forum post where I have that that I list all the artists and and where you can get the music. and And uh, he said, "Well, you know, thanks for being so helpful." I said, I'm not being nice. I'm required to do that by law. If I use this stuff, I have to tell you where to get it. Absolutely the case. It's one of those things that we often get wrapped up in when you're building content is the whole copyright piece of it. Um, and, and you do have to be knowledgeable. So you start building content and then suddenly you realize, wow, I'm a web designer. I'm building content. I'm editing. I'm also doing business type things of opening right, my accounts. I'm, I'm an accountant. Yes, I'm. I'm. I'm now also figuring out copyright law. I just um, wanted to make videos. Just wanted to put things out there about butterflies. Why do I have to do all of this? <laughs> and there we are. I, I just thought it was a funny dichotomy. You people in Darfur are changing their lives by listening to your stuff. Uh, people in the South are getting upset by listening to our stuff, and that's okay. Uh, that's See? kind of the way it, uh, it goes for us. That's about it. Uh, <laughs> Well, we're uh, we're nearing miniseries status here with this show, uh, so I, I want to uh, start wrapping it up. But I don't want to cut you off. I don't. I don't ever want to end uh, a passionate guest. Uh, so, uh, did you have any final thoughts or words that you'd want to give to our audience? If if they didn't hear anything else, what's the one thing you'd like them to hear before we say goodnight? Well, you know, uh, I always like to think that the internet is a place where. Things work a little bit differently. And, and after doing this for a few years now, that's that's absolutely the case. So I, I wanted to let everyone know that as of tonight in the Bronx Zoo, there is a hissing cockroach, a Madagascar hissing cockroach that now has the name Professor Messer. And so there's... <laughs> This, this is something right. I was that, wondering where you were going with that. I saw that in the notes. It almost looked out of place. It's a little bit out of place. And I thought, this is great. I could have a cockroach with my name. That's this branding is, right there. That's fantastic marketing. Who would not want this? Um, so there is a cockroach, not just a professor messer, but a Judy messer as well, because I felt there really does need to be two of them. So that that's at the Bronx. So now it's something they're doing. 
for the uh, Wildlife Conservation Fund. It is something they do every year to make money. And so I thought, what better opportunity to for to help them out with that? And because it's they're doing it for Valentine's Day, they send you chocolate roaches uh, in the mail that when you when you get these these names that you've assigned to them. So we're not only getting that, we're gonna we're gonna get the chocolate roaches, which which I must tell you, my wife is incredibly delighted about. Not. And uh, we have our podcast that we do every Saturday. So when they get here, we're going to eat them live on the air. Just the chocolate cockroaches. Not the, the real cockroaches will remain. The, the 48,000 or so will remain at the Bronx Zoo. But we will enjoy our chocolate uh, cocoa roach, as they, they call cocoa, them. Cocoa. Yeah, nice. Cocoa roach. Yes. So we will enjoy that. Of course. I need some clarification there now. Is this just a chocolate cockroach or is it a chocolate covered cockroach? No, it is a chocolate cockroach pure pure chocolate no cockroach <laughs> in it at all as it turns out and the others will stay in the bronx zoo until such time as uh the uh, fear factor show runs low on pro- produce and then and, uh, and then we go we go to the bronx zoo again hopefully they won't grab professor messer hopefully he'll be okay <laughs> uh well you mentioned you have a podcast not only do you have uh, all these great videos at professor messer what else have, have you got going on there well as you spoke earlier leo laporte sort of ruined it for everybody when it comes to uh, doing podcasts or finding topics for podcasts. Our podcast is called What a Week. Um, it, you can find it at whataweekpodcast.com. It's one where me and uh, the the ruler of all things, my wife, Judy, sit around and we talk about news that happened during the week that you perhaps did not hear about or news during the week that you heard about. But it turns out the story was completely different except nobody went back and told you that it was completely different. So we talk about a number of different things during the week and throw that in. She's knowledgeable in the medical side, so I can throw to her when the medical stories come out. I can talk about the weirdness like uh, last week when they said that our train systems were hacked. Turns out our train systems were not hacked, but that's sort of normal here in the United States. We aren't quite sure exactly what's going on. So we do that podcast every Saturday uh, at about 11 or noonish Eastern time, depending on the week. And we have a lot of fun with that. So one of those things we want to do is make more content, maybe not training content, maybe it's other kinds of content, trying to feel this out as we go. When you're recording a training video, do you stream that live as well? You know, I don't. And I really have thought about doing it because I don't use the same cameras for live streaming as I do for recording this. And the more I thought about it, the more horribly boring I would think that it would be because it's me doing the same take over and over and over. And then me taking a drink of water, me thinking about what I'm doing, clearing my throat and then saying the same thing over again. So maybe I'll do one just to see if anybody bothers to show up. But I I don't know if it would be really that appealing to folks. But I do a live every month. I do a live study group. So I get everybody in a, in a room on Justin TV and they send me questions beforehand. And I set up all the questions and we just spend an hour answering everybody's questions. And I want to do more of those every month, maybe even throw in a dial in line, something like that, where I could talk to people directly over voice, something like that. So it's it's starting to blend together in many ways. Yeah, that's one of those things that I it's it's interesting what people find interesting. What what you would consider mind numbingly boring, somebody else might be sitting and watching with rapt attention, saying, you know, how can I how can I learn from this? Uh, I'll sit on Twitter all the time and watch them changing sets between right. shows. So why not? 
it's one of the things I was thinking about with this audio book is uh, when I come into my studio and when I'm recording a chapter, flip on the camera, let anybody who cares watch and uh, maybe, you know, make snide comments in the process. Maybe I've completely misjudged that and it's, it's time to turn it on when I start recording some of those. Why not? Yeah, it doesn't take any extra effort. Right. Exactly. Uh, professor, uh, before we before we wrap this up, uh, give us all the different ways. I'm sure there's several uh, that people can either contact you or follow you. At the top of ProfessorMesser.com is a contact us link. And when you put information in there, it shows up on the phone that I carry around so I can run, but I cannot hide. Um, and all of those different types of media uh, locations we talked about during the show, you can find ProfessorMesser.com slash Twitter, ProfessorMesser.com slash Facebook, ProfessorMesser.com slash Google Plus in many different spellings. Uh, you will usually get me pretty much anywhere. That way you don't have to figure out what is his at something, what Facebook page is he on. Just go to ProfessorMesser slash you'll probably find it. That's a good idea. And so we're going to move on now to the tips of the week, and I'm, I'm pulling this on you right now. I'm going to expect a professor's tip. So we'll let you go last. Sean, I'm going to come up with something. That, that's Fair enough. up there. Huh? All right. So, Sean, why don't you go ahead and start with our teacher's tip of the week? All right. Uh, the teacher tip of the week is periodicvideos.com, uh, just like it sounds. And this is a website that basically, as you pull it up, the homepage is a graphical depiction of the periodic table of elements. Uh, what's unique about this uh, is that as you hover over that and you can click on any of those elements, you're going to get an educational video uh, with uh, just neat information about that particular element. Uh, there may be a demonstration of how that element uh, interacts with water, uh, you know, different various things like that. Uh, this comes from the University of Nottingham. And uh, so you, you get some really cool accents in there with your, with your video. So uh, I, I think that pretty much says it all. Check it out, periodicvideos.com. And I will tell you, I've, I'm familiar with this site. If the element can be compelled to explode under any circumstances, they will make sure it does. Yeah, they definitely go out of their way to make sure that the video has a cool factor. Right. They're the myth awesome. busters of the periodic table. Uh, and so for my tech tip this week, it, this is really a, a tip for anybody. Could It just as easily be a classroom tip. It's a web app. It's a website that is an app called abettercalculator.com. Um, and it's, it's a graphing calculator, a very good graphing calculator that's done entirely in HTML5. So it works on the iPad, the Android. Uh, you don't have to go download an app. It'll work on any website. Anything uh, with a modern browser that can do uh, HTML5, you can do this really uh, sophisticated uh, graphing uh, calculator where once you've created your graph or, or uh, defined your functions or whatever, you can save them, you can share them. There's the the uh, social component to that too. Uh, so it's it's a really good educational tool if you find yourself in that situation, or if you're just a an engineer who needs a calculator on the on the uh, quick. Abettercalculator.com. And so, professor, did I give you enough time to come up with our professor tip of the week? Absolutely. And the one for everyone this week, I wanted to blend together the education part of it and the web part of it. The math, the Mathematical Association of America has a blog at maanumberaday.blogspot.com where every day you get a new number and they tell you all about that particular number. The number today, for instance, is 748, which by the way is the same thing as two to the two squared times 11 times 17. It is also 
the 748 to the fourth power is 313,044,726,016. And at the end of this, they give you a little bit of information that's a little bit of trivia about the number 748. If the, if the mathematical part wasn't enough, this one will appeal. It's 748. Turns out that if you have one of those three by three sliding puzzles, you ever see those where it has a face or something and you've got to slide the puzzle around? It turns out that there are uh, 748 is the number of positions that require exactly 12 moves to solve that puzzle, starting with a hole in the corner. You can find wow. that at maanumberaday.blogspot.com. And what I like about that is it's such an easy-to-remember website. Yep. Uh, <laughs> that was uh, that was some, like, doctoral student's uh, thesis. <laughs> and every day there's a new number, and every day they have trivia, and right. they're about that. Number. We were just talking about things that are fascinating to others and mind-numbingly boring to most. <laughs> and uh, I think that one fits in that quote. There's a small percentage out there who will go, cool, and the rest of us kind of glaze over a little bit. Again, you need that segment. There's their niche. they got a website. They've got content. It's there every day. That's awesome. Uh, and at this point, I will simply tell you how you can contact us. We've been talking all this time about how you can contact James Messer. So I will tell you now how you can contact Mark Cockrell and Sean Kaibo. And that's at the uh, at El <laughs> See, I know this stuff down. I've got it. Right. Uh, I didn't have a story bit two years professional. That's right. Elementop.com. That's our website where you can find the forums. You can find other people like yourselves who are interested in the same bizarre stuff you are. And you can uh, jump in there and uh, make comments and, and resp reply to us and, and we'll reply to you. We are very active in that. We try to be uh, generally, uh, unless you were uh, somebody who lives uh, on the other side of the prime meridian, generally we will respond to you within a few minutes of you making your post. If you're in uh, uh, an entirely different time zone and I'm asleep when you make your post, I'm sorry, I'm not going to wake up to respond to it. But as soon as <laughs> I get up in the morning, I will. I, I take that very seriously. We have uh, begged and pleaded for almost two years now, and we are coming up on two years of doing this, uh, for you to, to give us feedback and give us input. So I'm not going to ignore you ignore you when you do. So uh, elementop.com, there's the... Uh, contact us up uh, button up there that'll that'll send us a, an email or you can use the leave us a voicemail uh, feature there Google Voice if you're in the uh, North America uh, US and Canada only sorry Google Voice will call you you can leave a message we'll play it uh, uh, on the show and uh, we just we covet that sort of feedback because we can't know if we're meeting our market if our market doesn't say anything generally the way the internet works is you only hear when you screw up. How about letting us know when we do something right once in a while? Uh, and that would be a wonderful <laughs> thing, too, uh, if that ever happens. <laughs> so, elementopi.com, um, that's where we live. And be sure to check out the uh, what's becoming the most popular forum on the uh, uh, the website, the Bacon Forum. Uh, so, yes. Mm, bacon. Yes. It's taken off. Everybody loves bacon. Vegans just don't admit it. Uh, so I, I think we need to, to start like uh, some sort of a campaign to make bacon a uh, uh an element oh i think bacon is too awesome to fit on the periodic table of elements all the others would <laughs> would would run away in fear bacon is the chuck norris of the meat world um baconinium <laughs> <laughs> all right sean any last comments before we end up uh, this was truly a great show I happen to agree with you this time. And so, having said that, that's the official end of the show. And so I will simply say, on behalf of Professor James Messer, this is Mark Cockrell, signing off. 
and Sean signing off.